Hi, and welcome to the Living in Harmony Family Ministry Podcast, where parents are at the forefront of raising their kids. We exist to help families create a biblical culture in the home while navigating the culture in the world. That being said, welcome to the show. Hey, and uh, welcome to episode two. We are really in the hang of this, two weeks into it, already pros, no echoes in the room. We were just talking before the podcast how like, I'm taking my shoes off now because they're squeaking. And yeah, it's 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 fun. So if you hear any noises, just know that uh, that's all coming from the love and care we put into this podcast. But anyways, that being said, my name is Delmar. I am Robert. And April. And they are married. Yes. To each other. To each other. I am also married, but my wife is currently putting my kids to bed. So there's that. <laughs> that being said, what, what did we get up to this week, y'all? Well... Let's see, Thursday, uh, we went to Ikea and um, took our daughter with us. She had never been. It took some convincing. It took some convincing. She was not sure. She's never been to Ikea? She's never been to Ikea. She was trying to get through life not having a... (laughs) Ikea is like the Disney World of furniture. Yeah. Well, it was fun. Something like that. But But yeah, yeah. it it was a good trip. It was a good trip. We did not convert her, but um, she but she did go. She left skeptical? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Well, that just goes to show we can't force our kids to turn out like us, even the better parts of us. You know, we <laughs> even I even told her, I said, oh, Savannah, I will get you anything that you want from the store. And she didn't even pick a single thing out. All right. <laughs> well, next time you want to go to Ikea, you can call me. <laughs> Actually, so our pastor at Harmony, Dan, has never been to Ikea. And they're currently redoing his office. So I've asked him, can we please go to Ikea? And he, he said he's going to go. So I hope I, 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 I'm going to try to convert him. We'll see how it goes. Y'all should come with us. We'll be hanging out. We, totally. Just let us know. <laughs> we we'll clear well, our schedule. As a family this week, full disclosure, last week I was starting to get sick. And this week it just like, boom. I don't know. Like it's one of those like you're sick all day. But when you lay down, you start coughing. And it's one of those you can't stop. So I have been uh, honestly trying not to get my own children sick. So I've been hanging out in my man cave, going over to see them. But I'll tell you what the coolest thing. I was working on some stuff in my studio at home this week. And I turned around and my middle child just standing there like, Dad. Because he wanted to talk. And I, I thought, you know, how cool is it that we're at this stage of life right now? Or whatever goes wrong in the house. Or if something's right. He comes and interrupts me and he's like, dad. And at, at first I was a little like frustrated and I was like, no, this is really cool because there's going to be a day when he's probably just in his room doing whatever he's doing. But so now it's just like, yeah, I like the little interruptions. So I think this week was a lot of little interruptions, but I really, uh, I really appreciate it. Well, so. That kind of gets to what we were talking about last week about taking advantage of those times and, and just having the, the relationship with your kids. And sometimes that sometimes we plan that. Sometimes we don't plan that. Sometimes yeah. it just happens to us. When you're in the middle of work, oftentimes mm. you don't plan it. Well, hey, we are going to move into our culture segment. We are going to uh, visit a conversation that's been an ongoing conversation in the public square for a couple of years. And it's recently come back up in some conversations that I've had. And I saw today there's a website called The Humble Homemaker. And it actually, they do have a Christian worldview. But I've seen this topic in lots of different spaces and that is this. It may be controversial some, to some or not. Some maybe think we're making mountain out of molehill. Some think that we should already get into it. And that is, uh, should you or should you not 
allow your kids to attend and host sleepovers in your house. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Just said it out loud. I And I think right now, People's gut reaction are getting hit in different ways. Some people are like, this is the stupidest conversation you could have on this podcast. Some of us are like, yeah, you need to bring it up. But I will say, whatever side of the fence you sit with this issue, should you allow your children to have sleepovers? And I would also include in here, even if my teenager is going away on the weekend with other Absolutely. other teens as well, like should you or should you not? In the article, whether you agree or disagree, I think it puts valid points. And the first one is one of the reasons we should it is because you remember your own personal experiences with these. Do y'all have do y'all go to any sleepovers or lock-ins overnight stuff that you have personal experiences with? Yeah, we yes, did. we yes we did. <laughs> I mean, not together, but <laughs> <laughs> but I know that I did, and I remember growing up, we would have um, my parents had a camper, so for my birthday, like 10, 11, 12 years old, we'd have camping nights out in the camper, and it's so fun. But as I was thinking through this. I thought, wow, I was exposed to some things in that camper that I didn't even know because people were just saying it. Mm-hmm. And and if you if you ever did these things, you you know like you can't control the one kid who's going to say the one thing, especially if it's not your kid. So there's a personal experience. The second thing is that technology has changed. Could you imagine now letting your kids be alone in a camper and they all have their cell phones and iPads overnight? Like a bunch of teenage boys or pre-pubescent boys, like you know what you're asking for. So that invites another layer of complexity to the sleepover. And then also it's increasingly become aware just the amount of abuse that has happened during these things. And it is a protection issue. Do you know the people that your child's staying with? And you're like, well, I know the dad. Well, you don't know the mom. Or you know the mom. You don't know the dad. But you don't know the other kids who are going to be standing. Or older siblings. Or older, yes, older siblings. So one of the, the question I want to throw out to you, just given those three things to consider in this article, when you have this conversation about sleepovers, what are some things that you think would be wise to consider? Well, I think one of the, when we were at that age, well, okay, when, when our kids were at that age, be, let me make sure I'm clear what I'm talking about. Um, we were we were able to, I mean, we, we were very deliberate about, um, you know, what families we interacted with and, and how we did that. And so we were, you know, we, we probably, if there was an error, and I don't know that we were in error, it was more towards the shelter side. Uh, but we, we definitely wanted to know what the parents were like, what other siblings were like, um, what else was going on, who else was going to be there, what they were going to be doing. And, and uh, we were, we were very protective about that with our, with our kids. And in fact, they didn't even do any, I mean, they, our kids had very few sleepovers. Um, and it was, I mean, they were much older than I guess some, some might say is normal. Yeah. I think when, you know, they were, when they were young, like maybe elementary school age, there were no sleepovers. Um, I think there was, you know, one year, um, when we, let's see, our kids would have probably been, um, well, younger than 10 for sure, all of them. And, um, you know, we went away for the weekend to a marriage retreat and, um, you know, we were living in Wyoming at the time, um, half a country away from, you know, other family. So you didn't have, you needed to know someone that you could trust to leave your, your kids with. And so they did stay with a family that we knew very well. We knew them from church. Um, they were very, 
um, like-minded with us as far as values and uh, morality and what was and wasn't acceptable that they would allow their kids to get exposed to and things like that. And so, you know, but in all three of our kids together stayed at the, at the house for that weekend and they had a really good time. Um, I think that's the only time when they were that young that they were, that yeah, there was. I think they stayed with that family that. like once or twice later, but, but yeah, but we, we had, we had very specific conversations with the, with the parents too, about, you know, what our concerns might be and what, what they would, what they would be doing over the weekend and, and how to deal with emergencies and all kinds of stuff like that. But, you know, the other thing, too, is as they got older and, you know, to, to teenage years and things like that, I mean, um, we actually kind of just had a rule for the most part that was we don't do sleepovers. And um, we actually knew quite a few families who kind of made that same rule. We just we don't do sleepovers. And then we would do we would make exceptions here and there, you know, for certain things. But. You know, I think there's probably um, maybe two or three families where our kids have done sleepovers with. Um, and it usually was not <coughs> in the context of a slumber party, like where a bunch of different kids from different places come. It was usually just like um, our kids going to some other kid's house for, you know, just just them. And so that also kind of helped control, I think, how many different influences were coming in and, you know, because you might know the family, but if there's like 10 kids showing up from all over the place, you don't necessarily know all of those families. Yeah. And, and I think there is, let's just go ahead and, and, and say something that's true though. When you are young, there is a level of excitement in a sleepover. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, I feel like I'm taking that from them, making them the odd man out. But, but what I've seen and I've even started modeling in my own family is there's nothing to say they still can't have that same excitement. You know, one of the cool things about sleepovers, you don't have to go to sleep. One of the cool things about sleepovers, you probably get to eat junk food. One of the, you know, you get to watch TV. So with my sons, every now and then, I'll say, hey, we get to have a sleepover in the man cave. So out in the backyard, we have a little building, and we will hang out in there, watch YouTube, and I will take them to Dollar General and say, get whatever junk food you want. And they're like, this is awesome. <laughs> and what I hope I'm giving them is this sense of we're already getting this because they can play video games and stay up all night. It's very similar to if you're a father and you never tell your daughter she's beautiful, she'll believe any young schmuck who tells her that because he wants something. It's very similar. Like your kids need to experience this fun in their own home. So they don't think they have to go somewhere else to replicate it. So, and, and so that way they don't feel like they need to bring people in because parents, you, you can be fun. So given that, that element in your own house, providing that, and you know what, if you have teenagers, they're going to, well, that's not cool, you know, but what I've also seen is I know some parents who are very intentional about still having this atmosphere. It's not a sleepover anymore because that's weird. I'm a 14 year old boy having a sleepover with my father. That sounds (laughs) creepy, but men take their sons hunting, right? Women um, or take them camping. Women take their, their their daughters out and they have these overnight events. It's important. I think it is something about our soul to get away from what is normal, to have like a, a rejuvenation. I, I think on some base level in a spiritual way, there's something holy about this aspect of like being in community, getting away from everybody else. But I think what happens is it's really easy for us if we're not intentional 
for it to become unholy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a theme here that I that I think we're going to carry through a lot of our discussions because it's it's been a part of our some of our some of our previous conversations about some of these issues is just trying to be intentional about doing things as a family. You know, we when at various points in my in my work life in my career, I've traveled a lot and sometimes everybody goes with me. And so we'll just take a, you know, a half a week or a week and and everybody goes. And that's just part of the part of the deal is we get that sort of overnight thing and we sort of turn it into a mini vacation and I'm at work during the day. And then I come back and we go do some fun things in the afternoons and evenings. And so we've 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 made that a part of our of our family life as the kids have grown up. And so it's just a, it's an opportunity for us to be deliberate about finding those, like you were saying, those, those opportunities to, to do things as a family so that the kids don't feel like they have to go elsewhere for all of the fun. Yeah. And I was actually looking at another article, which we may cover later about the FOMO, fear of missing out and how that's actually led to disease in, in children and actually has even led to suicide. And, and sometimes with these sleepovers, there is this fear of missing out. Because you got invited and your parents aren't going to let you go. And help me help me through this one. Because I know like I've, I've seen, especially in your daughter, if everybody is doing something and she's like, I'm not doing it. She's exceedingly okay saying, I'm not doing it. And she doesn't care. Yeah, she, she doesn't care. Oh, I'm not going to sleep over. My family doesn't do that. She, she's literally not care what other people say. But that's not true of every parent, of every child, because some kids... It's really hard for them to say, no, I can't go. Why? Because my parents won't let me. And that's just, you know, every time you you heard that growing up or you said that, it's almost like your parents are the bad guys, you know. How, what did y'all do to combat that? The sleepover, but it's in the context of something related to it um, that I think still applies, which is... Um, Back when our kids were um, middle school age or something like that, you know, iPhones were becoming more and more popular. Their friends were getting smartphones and um, our kids at first, you know, didn't have or iPods or things like that. That's now really showing our age. <laughs> but, um, you know, when we we decided to let our kids get iPhones and then we did not put certain apps were taken off. Our kids did not have Safari on the iPhone. They didn't have the YouTube app. There were, they, um, we had parental controls on there. And so they would sometimes get teased by some of their friends. Oh, you can't look up this website. Like, you know, why? And if they would tell them, well, my, you know, we don't have that on our phone, but it was a protection in place that we had put because we're teaching them what's right they, to the best of their ability, are wanting to do what's right, but there's still temptation, right? And so there were some things that we said to our kids, and this is how we explained it to them. And I think it can also apply with sleepovers, but um, we told them, here's the thing. There's a lot at stake. If we put if we put Safari on your phone right now, and all it takes is one time of you going and looking at something you shouldn't go look at or, you know, accidentally coming across something and then, you know, we can't undo that. And we told them we are trying to put as much protection in place until you are old enough and strong enough that you are able to fight that temptation and make wise choices. It's guardrails in the meantime. 
And I told our kids and, you know, Robert told our kids, we're never going to apologize for trying to protect you from getting exposed to some things that could cause addiction before you're old enough to recognize the ramifications for long-term and just things like that. So we kind of showed them and we were very upfront with them. And we said, if the other kids are going to make fun of you, let them because, you know, like they shouldn't have access to it on their phones either. And we're not going to apologize for the fact that we're not putting it on there. And you could do the same thing with sleepovers, you know, I'm sorry if other, you know, somebody else's kid is able to go sleep over at whoever's house they want to, but we are, there are things that, certain things that can happen that you can never take away once it's happened. And so we're never going to apologize for being careful. And there are, there are circumstances, I mean, you don't necessarily want to talk to an eight-year-old about all the potential bad things that could right. happen, but, but you can talk about some things and you can say, oh, well, you know, when I was on a sleepover once, <clears throat> Uh, we went out in the backyard and we were actually one of the things that did actually happen is we would climb up on the roof and, you know, some of the guys would jump off the roof onto a trampoline or something. I can't remember now, but there were things that would happen that, that, that a kid could relate to and finding those examples that, that a kid can relate to and say, Hey, you know, there wasn't an adult around watching for that. And we want to make sure that you don't, you know, that you don't get into a bad situation. And sometimes, you know, you have to deal with, with, with each child's personality, um, asking about our daughter. I mean, there's some of that is, is personality based and, and, you know, so some kids are going to be very independent and very willing to say, okay, I'll, I'll buck the system and do whatever, you know, do, do whatever I need to do, regardless of what other people doing. And other, 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 other kids are going to be, have much more of a, uh, kind of a people pleasing personality and, and, and want to be a part of those groups. And so you have to, as a parent, you have to, you have to adjust the, the conversations and the interactions in that way. I think one of the things that I just heard that is really important is both of y'all communicated in your own way. There's a lot at stake. Yes. Communicating that to your child is so important other than, oh, because it's bad or because we don't want you to. In communicating the why behind this issue is really important. I mean, I do look back at some of them and some of the more foolish things that I learned growing up and that I experienced did happen where people were just being with each other overnight, you know, and some of them were funny stories in the moment. But then when you look back at it, you're like, no, it's not. Like I remember I was in high school. I had my friends spend the night. They dared my friend Joseph to streak around the house. <laughs> and he did. Oh, and they locked the house <laughs> and they left them outside naked. For like half the night. No. G guess what story beat Joseph back to school on Monday? Oh, dear. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it's really funny at the time, but I'm like, he had to live with that the rest of his high school, you know? And like, it, 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 there's things like that and, that. and that's where we're more lighthearted. But I also learned other things. And I think one of the, as we leave this conversation, I just want to leave it with something I think is important. I know that it could seem like a Debbie Downer to stop and to, or to not do it. But can I encourage you, even if you do make sure, you know, everything, mm -hmm. know the parents of the kids who are coming because those kids are oftentimes going to act like them know the kids know what they're doing, have a nest cam in the room. They know they're being watched. Yes. Um, check when they're on the internet, have your router set up where you could see everything that was visited. Uh, and then also, Make sure you have your friends with one of the kid who always squeals. 
<laughs> right? Because there's always one kid who squeals. And if you can't catch it on the front end, you catch it on the tail end and say, see, I told you so. But I, th- I think the one workaround that, that I've seen is when it's, it's very intentional in nature. Back to that whole conversation, but more in, in the sense of like an intentional sleepover, if you will, would be, hey, we're getting together, us and a few other fathers. We're going to be up all night. We're going to teach our kids how to cook food, how to do stuff. Like this is different than just, there you go. Because what, what can very easily happen is Lord of the Flies. And that's really what we're doing. And increasingly, we live in a culture where kids are raising their own self because we don't have the parental involvement in the home. We don't have the um, concern grounded human being in the classroom teaching them in a lot of spaces. So we have a bunch of teenagers raising themselves, teaching their own self what is right and wrong. And that is why our culture is in part going the way it is. So if we can remove that element from any atmosphere where our kids are going to be heavily influenced, that's really important. So, yeah. Uh, and, you know, along with that intentionality, when our kids were teenagers, um, you know, so there were, there was um, one family in particular that um, our kids did do sleepovers with occasionally. And the thing is with that family, they were, the parents were like our best friends. We did ministry together. We discipled kids together. Um, we just had we were good friends. Their, their son was our son's best friend. Their daughter was our daughter's best friend and everybody got along really well. And it was almost like the cousins. It was like extended family is really what it felt like. And, but we really knew them. We had, you know, very identical values and, um, it was, and so sometimes, you know, they, they would do, that's, that's really, um, that's really that and maybe one other one other family. And so th- but those were very intentional and we knew like we could trust each other with our kids. We knew them very, very well. So in as much as it is available to us, control the environments your kids yeah. are in. And the parents yeah. were very involved, just mm-hmm. like we're very right. involved and they yeah. would hang out with them and do stuff. You might stay up late playing games and like the dad and that family love, you know, he loved board games and stuff. And like people would be involved. I mean, you wouldn't just hover the whole time and be like in their business the whole time, but those are people that you could really trust as much as family. That's going to seem weird. The parental involvement, because like you said, a second ago, there's, there's, there's a lot of not parents being involved. A lot of, a lot of kids raising themselves and doing themselves, doing things for themselves. Um, and so, you know, us as, as parents, as we're, as we're trying to get involved in our, in our, in our children's life and, and to, to keep, to keep that involvement, it's going to seem weird to a lot of people. And, you know, we just have to own that and say, yeah, it is weird. But at the end of the day, our goal is to, to raise our ch- children to be, you know, well-grounded. They're going to be protected from the, as much of the bad things as we can. We're going to, we're going to raise them in our values and, and uh, so we, we do have to do that deliberately and just understand that it's going to look a little bit strange. Yeah, well, this has been a good conversation. But right now, we are going to go to what we heard in church this week. The big thing this week, we talked about killing, specifically killing our sin. <laughs> so, which, man, as I started looking at this text in Romans, literally where we left off last week on the podcast, we're at verse 12, chapter 8. What what I see as I was looking through it is, man, this really has some implications in how we raise our kids because there is this diametric thing going on 
between someone who is a believer and someone who's not a believer and how the expectations we should have versus the grace we should give or shouldn't give. There's so much when it comes to raising our children because what we saw in the scriptures, we've been commanded as believers to put to death the sin in us that happens through sanctification. First of all, the work of the spirit. Second of all, him coming along through illuminating the word in our life to help us do this. Also, we have the privileges brought to us by being children of God, and we have this inheritance. And that is very specific to the Christian life and to the regenerate heart, which brought to my mind, and I think this text will help us with this a little bit or a lot, is is when it comes to parenting your child, chances are if you're listening, um, you sit in one of three camps. Both of your kids know Jesus, neither one of your kids know Jesus, or there's a blend. And when it comes to parenting your child, how do you parent them differently if they've made a profession of faith and their heart is new versus they are not yet believers? I think there's a there's a lot of things that are the same. I mean, you still are gonna you're still going to try to grow, you know, uh, to grow them into a, a, a right belief and into truth. So truth is truth, you know, whether the, the the child has accepted it or not. And so there's a lot of things that you'll, you'll do exactly the same. Um, I think one of the main things is that you can, you know, once you, once you get to a point where, where a child has, has professed Christ has come to a, to a belief, whatever level, um, the, the kid is able to, to comprehend. And sometimes that's a very basic level. Uh, but, but you're now able to say, okay, look, now this is what you've said. You want to follow Jesus, and this is what Jesus is teaching us. And, and it gives you a, a another way to kind of add um, add emphasis to to certain to certain truths. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would say that in our parenting, we like you said, the truth of Scripture is a truth of Scripture, whether someone believes it or not. And so, like in our home, you know, we we always everything was always driven to Scripture and. We, um, we parented them and, you know, our kids all, you know, came to faith and, um, at early ages, but, um, until that, until that happened, we still taught them and expected them to abide by, you know, the truth of scripture. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that I've seen, even in my 18, 19 years of of ministry and most of that in student ministry is there are families who would say, okay, you're, you're not a believer. Well, this family still has a code. Right. This family still has, we hold to these values. So this isn't really about whether or not you accept it. These are imputed onto you. Mm-hmm. And it's not in like a, a hateful way. That's in a loving way saying this is the best way we've seen that our family can be healthy, that you can be healthy. But what, what I've seen is parents... Will have they say yes? We are a Christian family, even if their child's not. But we have Christian values. But yet, it's very selective sometimes. For example, I've seen parents who their kids do not come to church on Sunday, but they're a devout family. And they're like, "Well, my family, my son doesn't believe, and I don't want to nag him into the kingdom." Well, at that point, that's I understand the heart behind that. But whenever we say, well, now you don't have to participate in this thing that our family does, uh, where, where are you, where are y'all on that? Uh, we were always in the, we're going to church. Um, 
you know, so there were certain things that we did as a family and there were activities that we would do, um, you know, some, some, some things like sports and other things, but there were some church activities. It's like, I know you're, you're going. And again, it was, we were, we were very fortunate that, that our kids, because they came to faith at a young age, um, we didn't have to fight that a whole lot. We, we never really had a teenager say, no, I don't, I don't believe in your God and I'm not going. And, and I have a lot of sympathy for families and parents that are in that situation. But I do think, you know, one of the things that, that we did from the very beginning is, um, and it, 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 it's matured quite a bit, but the idea that uh, we mentioned a minute ago that, that God's truth is true, whether you believe it or not. And, and the truth, you know, when, when he designed the universe, there are certain principles that are, that are going to happen. I mean, that, that are true and, and certain things that are uh, fact and that, that are, that are real. And so, you know, when you apply those things, and, and I was famous in my household for pausing cartoons and movies in the middle and saying, "Hey, look at what they look at what worldview they're trying to teach you in this." Our um, kids, our kids have said, "Dan, you ruined movies for us." <laughs> but you know, but then they now they're like, "We can't see anything. We can't watch anything without seeing the worldview that's being pushed on us." But what that what that means is that that you know you can step back and say, "This is not about belief in you know the." saving power of, of Jesus of Nazareth. This is the truth that, that the, the universe just behaves in this way. And, and it, and so we're going to live our lives and we're going to teach you to live in accordance with the way the universe works. And when you do that, your life works better because you're not fighting against things. And so, but the way the universe works, I mean, with God as a creator of the universe. And so when, if you, you're, it's, it's working in harmony with with scripture anyway. Right. And and this is another reason that we talked about this earlier. Why it is important that you embed these truths in your children even when they're young. And and if, if you are later coming to the game, better better late than never. And actually there is value in, in having the conversation later because when you're young it comes a lot like question and answer. Like who made you? God. Why do you love him? You know. But when you're older it's more like conversation. And I've seen how parents have walked through that and it's been very fruitful because even if the child never believes, they at least know why you do. And they have to say no, not just to belief, but to their family system. And I know that sounds like out here, but but we I do believe that the, the children of believers are set apart. They're not like the children, they're holy. That doesn't mean they're saved, but they are set apart. So they have this... Um, they have this influence that is th- that should be there. I know I had a, a mother. She had two sons, and this was a while back. One of her her oldest sons, a really good friend of mine, just had his first baby two weeks ago. But her first son met Jesus really early. Awesome young man showed up with lead worship, lead a Bible study, soft spoken, godly boy. Her, her youngest one, who was about two years younger, he was just wild, right? You couldn't discipline him. I think she went through the whole Rolodex of love languages to discipline her in college twice. She's like, I got nothing. I got, like, some of you have that kid. You're like, I've got nothing. I'm telling you, I've seen it. I get it, okay? But what ended up happening was she would start saying, well, look at your, your, your other brother, right? Look at the one who's saved. She didn't say that, but, like, look at him. And then after a while, she realized that didn't work, right? Which subconsciously, what are you communicating? 
And then she was like, I just want him to know Jesus. And she sat in my office just in tears. And I'm like, yes, you should. But we talked about adoption today in this passage. And in this passage today, what we saw is that adoption is an intentional process, right? Um, John MacArthur walked through what does it mean to be adopted in the Roman um, era, and that was a father would intentionally look for a child. It was not random selection. And and I walked her through what was adoption. It was like, listen, our prayer is that he would be adopted. And it changed her entire strategy because her, her prayer life went from, I got to nag him into the kingdom to, hey, I need my child. I hope that he is adopted and was praying, Lord, if you would adopt my child. And one day, uh, it's like a Wednesday. I'll never forget this. I'm at church. I hear like a banging on the door. And it was in the country, 15 miles into the middle of nowhere. So I don't know. What do I do? I go to the door of the church. I open it and there's her youngest child. And he is just like snot nose. He's like 16. He's just crying, snot, like his shirt's wet. He's like, I need Jesus. Wow. And he walked in and we sat down and like, he just gave his heart to the Lord. And, and the mother can tell you, she didn't nag him into it. She didn't drag him into it. She didn't parent him into it. He was off on his way. To be honest, he had gotten himself into sin and he realized this is not going to end well. And, you know, as a, as a human, his personality is still his personality. He He's slower in his sanctification, if you will. But there is that assurance that he's adopted. And when it comes to parenting your child different, there's so many things to take in consideration. If they're not a believer, it is true. You can't nag your child into the kingdom, but you can set the kingdom in his path. So he might trip into it, you know, uh, in the sense of like God pulling him into it, even if by the, his feet, as scripture would say. But in regards to this scripture, did any more things stand out to y'all this morning as we were in church? Well, I like the, I mean, you talked about the the process and you were just kind of talking about it, about sanctification and how part of, part of the, the job that we have as followers of Christ is to participate in that process. And it's, it's, you know, in it's, it's one of those weird, you know, uh, complicated situations that we, that we, that God puts us into that he says, okay, here's the power of the spirit that's going to give you the, the authority and the strength to, to do what I need you to do, but you still have you believer still have to do it. And, and so I can't just say, Oh, you know, I've, you know, I've, I, I've decided to follow Christ, you know, Christ is in me and now I can just sit back and wait for all this to happen. You know, that doesn't work any better than, you know, sit back and go, go into a gym and sit back and say, all right, now I'm going to have a body like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, it just doesn't happen. You still have to, you know, you walk into a gym just sitting there doesn't do any good. Just sitting in a church doesn't doesn't make you sanctified. You know, I've still got to go, you know, pick up heavy things and put them back down. And spiritually, I still have to, to, to pick up those heavy things and, and deal with those. And I was talking with our pastor, Pastor Dan, about this this week and, and how the nature of grace, it's the same grace, but it is different because the work that we can't do has already been done. You know, um, us having faith in Jesus 
I can't, as a de- somebody dead in my spirit, I can't make that myself come alive, but he's made me alive, given us a new heart, died on the cross, purchasing for us that which we could never pay. He's done the hard work. He's given us the grace for that. But now he's saying, okay, now you, that same grace that saves you, equips you to live. Mm-hmm. But you got to do the living. And it, I mean, verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, that's an active thing that we have to do. You know, we can't just sit back and say, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just going to show up at church every, every Sunday and that'll do it. And if you're a parent, this is something real important to look for in your child's life who's professed Christ. You know, a lot of times parents, your children profess Christ and, and right. I'm, I'm even going through this with my oldest right now, you know, because he says he believes in Jesus. He's five. Right. Which is awesome. We had that conversation, but I am wondering, OK, is that genuine? Where was he? Is it, is it because he just heard things? But one of the tells is, is their sin dying? Are they convicted of their sin? This is a really, this passage is a great, it's a great personal tool for us, but man, it is a great parent tool for your children. If your child professes Christ, you should be seeing um, the sin being convicted of and killed in your children's life. And if you correct them, it should be received more well because it's coming, the spirit in you is correcting the spirit in them and there should be a sense of unity in that. Mm-hmm. And I know like, some of the things that we've talked about with our kids and um, you touched on this earlier is, you know, when you're correcting, um, you know, they've done something that you're having to correct them over and and talk with them about, you know, parents can say something, which I don't think is all that helpful, which is just, well, don't do that anymore. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. And, you know, don't you know, that's a sin. You shouldn't do that. But, you know, we also were very intentional and, you know, that word keeps coming back over and over intentionality, but we were very intentional and still are, you know, of, of saying, um, you know, you have the Holy spirit indwelling within you and you have the ability to not do this. And, you know, if there's something, you know, like if one of my kids just, you know, getting angry about, um, you know, a rule they don't like, or, you know, maybe they're not telling the truth or, you know, whatever it was that was going on, you have the ability to not, to not do this. Um, but that doesn't come naturally. No, you have to, you have to teach your kids to, to understand the power of the spirit in their lives and to reach into that. And, and so that is part, I mean, part of that is things like, memorizing scripture, mm-hmm. talking about it all the time, talking about these truths, you know, pointing out, you know, whether it's in a movie or, or anything else, you know, pointing out where the, where that, where that truth applies. Like we talked about last time, you know, being willing to say to a kid, yeah, I messed up. I, as your dad, I, as your parent messed up and, and did something that was sinful and I'm convicted by that. And the spirit's now doing a change, you know, he's changing me and written and, and uh, allowing me to become more holy and, and letting them see that that growth in us is because it is. I mean, this passage says we're not we are not indebted to our sin anymore. So what that means is quite literally, we don't have to sin. You don't have to. And when I see my child sinning, I have to realize if they're a professing believer, they don't have to do that. And the reason they are doing it 
might be because scripture also commands us to go and make disciples. And like parent, it's empower your believing child to know they don't have to do it. You know, our youngest, uh, our youngest was very honest about sometimes about his sin in the sense when we were discussing it there, you know, maybe he like, you know, hit his brother or, you know, took a toy or you know, just whatever he was doing at the time, you know, depending on his age. And, you know, we might say like, okay, so why did you do that? Because I wanted to. And he was pretty, you know, open because I wanted to. And then that would allow, you know, that's one of the things that we talked about or that, you know, was mentioned in the, in the sermon. Why do we sin? And one of the reasons is because we like it, you know, because we felt like it. And so we have opportunities to say, yeah, well, you know, there's things that I want to do too. And, you know, but we have to, we have to conquer it. We have to, you know, kill it, die to that old self. And going back to the fact that you have the Holy Spirit within you, you have that helper that will help give you that strength and help give you the ability to, to not do that, to make different choices. And I think that's, even more important in our society where so many things people just allow themselves to be defined by their sin you know whether it's a sexual sin whether it's something in the past whether it's something that that i have done that i you know just can't get over um you know and you talked about that uh in the sermon as well think just things you know you don't have to be defined by things that that you did in the past you don't have to be defined by the things that you struggle with now you know those are not things that that we uh, you know, that we are a slave to. We don't, we don't, those things don't owe, own us anymore. We don't owe anything to those aspects of our past or of our, of our personality, of our sinful nature. You know, we are owned by the spirit. We are owned by God and we are, you know, and that's, that's part of that adoption. And one of the things that's just incredibly cool is that we are now part of God's family. Uh, and back to that cultural context, that was irrevocable. You know, that one of the things is you couldn't be adopted into a family and then disowned. You know, you, you, you were there uh, and that was, that was permanent. And so in this, in this context, we're, we're adopted into his family and, and we're part of that. And he gives us all of those, you know, all of the, the privileges of being sons, uh, which includes the suffering. Uh, and, and that was another thing that, that you mentioned in the sermon is that the, we're not, it's not just the. Uh, it's not just the benefits, but it's also sharing in, in the sufferings of Christ in order to share in the blessings. Mm. Yeah, and, and when we share in those things, that is part of the sanctification process. Ultimately, what I've heard someone tell me, and I, I tend to agree with this, is if your child is not a believer, your role in their life is that of an evangelist. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so an evangelist, one of the things Billy Graham, you know, he'd never be alone in the elevator with a woman. You know, because he knows what his witness is doing. Your witness to your child is so important. It's so important, especially if your child's unbelieving. And then, you know, if your child's a believer, your role is that of, you know, discipler, a person who's making disciples. So that being said, I think this is a conversation that is very important for a lot of us. And we need to put our stake in the ground right now and say, all right, what's my role in my child's life? Is it discipler? Is an evangelist, you know, and then own that. I was going to say uh, one last thing with this is um, many years ago, um, some friends of ours uh, said this to us and it kind of became something that we live by, um, which kind of pertains to this is 
my children are not missionaries. Like when you talk about, well, why wouldn't you let, let your kids go over and do this sleepover or go do this other thing or any of the other things that you might draw the line and say, we're no, um, you know, well, they might need to, you know, be there to be a good witness for someone else. And, um, one of the, this thing that we have always lived by is my children are not missionaries. My children are our mission field. And for us, that was kind of our calling was, you know, you treat them, your job is to evangelize them if they're not, if they're not already believers. And if they are, you're discipling them. But, and eventually they become missionaries. Just like, just as we go make disciples and those disciples make other disciples, you know, our, our kids have all become, um, you know, young adults who are serving, they are, they are going out, um, onto the mission field as it were. Um, but it comes later, but it's later. Yeah. We had to prepare them for that. So when it comes to raising your children, whether believers or not, the answer is yes and no, (laughs) but yes, with a no caveat. So, but our hope is this, that if you are listening to this, our hope for you is that your child would be adopted into the family. And that you would be able to celebrate just like my my friend, um, his mother was. Okay, well, that at the end, a couple quick parenting tips. Ready? Let's go. Question for the day. On long distance trips, what are some of the best parenting hacks? Hit me with them quick. Um, pack lots of snacks. Mm, snacks and, are good. Um, uh, Really long car trips. I would say start early. Drive early when they're when they're asleep. Put them in with their in their like get them out of bed when they're already in their pajamas and have like a change of clothes in the car and just get up, go early and let them sleep during part of the trip and they can wake up in time to gas refill the car with gas, get snacks, change. So breakfast. you eat it with the sleep, but it helps. And if the kids are better off, you're better off in the long yeah. run, anyways. Yes. Right. Yeah. If the kid, if you're going on an eight-hour car ride and the kids sleep for four of it. You know, that's definitely a definitely a plus. Um, and then just think about, you know, again, th- think about it in advance. You know, what are you going to do? You know, are you, you know, something that we didn't have when we were kids is, um, you know, movies in the backseat. And, and, and sometimes that's cool. I can't tell you how many how many movies I heard long <laughs> before I saw them. By driving with our kids, uh, by driving watching with the, the kids. movie. Uh, but that's again an opportunity for discussion. Now you're now you're building a cultural, you know, a, a culture of the family it gives you a, a chance to talk about things and yeah. sometimes we as they got older we did have some of those conversations in the car another cool away. thing for long depending on as your kids maybe you're getting a little bit older is um or even when they're younger um audiobooks like, there comes an intentionality again guess what instead of watching this movie or that you've seen three times already we're gonna listen to this and throw some some great stuff in there right now my 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 two boys are into fedex so every time they see a FedEx riding down the road, they go FedEx <laughs> and it keeps them looking. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really dumb, but my wife started doing it and like my kids love it. I remember w- when I was in grade school, my parents picked me up from one school one day and said, all right, we're going to Sumter to eat lunch. And then they just drove and we never got to Sumter. And I was like, how long does it take to get to Sumter? And then all of a sudden I'm like seeing mountains and my dad's like, those are just clouds. I'm like, oh, okay. And the whole time I thought we were on a 30 minute trip to Sumter. We got four hours down the road before I realized they said that was one of the best trips ever. That's the best. (laughs) Because this, which is true. We were going to eat. 
We were just going to eat in the mountains. <laughs> so, so, anyways, long trips can be a thing, and I know for it could be a torture. It could be National Lampoons, um, or or it could be something really awesome. So, there's a bunch of hacks out there. If you have any, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to shoot us to them in any any and all ways that this podcast is set up. With all that, it has been good today. My name's Delmar. I'm Robert. And April. And we will talk to you next time on Living in Harmony.